Hey, I'm glad you're here today for baseball, Sermon from the Mound today. So uh, I thought that'd be appropriate. How about you? So uh, how many, any Cubs fans out there that when we got to that part, you said in Cubbies instead of home team? <laughs> Mike, Mike did, that, you cheated because you knew it from the first. I said that early service. But yeah, that's what, that's what uh, Harry Carey always said was, for the Cubby. So I'm glad you're here. Hey, I got a comment about baseball, and I want to ju- have a quick word of prayer if we can, and then jump into this message on baseball. Because I found out at the 9 o'clock service, I got way too much stuff to say in 30 minutes. And believe it or not, I took out about three stories that I had. So, uh, so we got a whole lot of stuff to talk about. But uh, let me tell you this about baseball, because it, it, a, lot, a lot about this particular thought is like the Christian life is that baseball is not a sport of perfection. Now, football, you know, college football, you lose a game, you're pretty much out of winning the championship. I mean, you've just about almost got to have a perfect season. You know, NFL's not even that way. Uh, you, you can definitely win without. But baseball is definitely not. Anybody uh, besides Bradley and anyone that was here at the 9 o'clock service know how because <laughs> he answered this 9 o'clock service. Anybody besides, how many, anybody know how many games there are in a major league baseball season? How many? Uh, there we go. We've got several baseball geeks in here today. All right, 162. And here's what's often been said about baseball, okay? And you can apply this to the Christian life, is everybody wins 50 games. Everybody loses 50 games. You look at the stats. Now, there, sometimes there are a few people that are a little better or a little worse than that. But pretty much everybody wins 50. Everybody loses 50. It's what you do with the other 50 that makes the difference. And that's the way it is in a Christian life. God pushes us toward perfection. He tells us, be ye holy as I am holy. And that word holy is, kind of means a spiritual perfection. So we say we should strive for perfection. But when we fall down and we mess up, he doesn't say stay on the ground. You know, baseball, what that tells me about baseball players is you lose a game, hey, you got to get back up because there's another game tomorrow. Or maybe even this afternoon is a doubleheader. So you got, I mean, you got to get back up. You lose the game. Hey, that's one of your losses, you know, and you, you just can't keep having too many of those. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. If you mess up, you don't lay down in the dirt. You get up, you dust yourself off and say, hey, we got to go at it again. You know, this is not about perfect. It's about striving for perfection. We're going to try to have a perfect, uh, a perfect batting game and a perfect pitching game and perfect fielding and all those things. But if it's not perfect, we're going to get up and we're going to try again. That's the way the Christian life is you got to get up and try again. It's not about perfection. It is about endurance. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I love you and thank you, God, for the fact that you are a God of a second chance. Lord, you, you give us second chances, Lord, and third and fourth and fifth. Lord, when we mess up, you're always, you're always there with your grace, God, and just uh, ready for us to just return back to you, Lord. You have been so good to us in our, in, in our lives, God. And, and it's asking you, God, to stir within us. Lord, I pray that you do just, just like a good good baseball coach you get in our face today for just a little while tell us tell us the stupid things we're doing in life god that uh, is making us continue to lose god so that we can straighten those out and we can we can start working on more of those wins i pray god that you uh, help us lord just keep pushing us toward perfection that every day we work and strive to follow your will and everything we can to god to be the person the best God, that you've called us to be, what you created us, what you have gifted us to be, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you just mess with our lives, mess with our heads, mess with our hearts today, God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, some people want to know, you know, why in the world, you know, you, you got to preach, you know, drive by and you see baseball on one date and golf on another date and football on another date. Well, we did this last year and, uh, you know, 
summer is real crazy and everybody gets scattered. Thank God school's back in and you guys are back home from vacation. I've been worried where some of you were and make sure you know you knew how to get back here. I counted three Sundays this summer. I counted over 40 people gone one particular week. I, you know, some, some of those days you're just glad you got a, a band you know, and somebody to help you work. And we, and we still had good crowds, so I was glad. I'm glad that we're all coming back you know, from our vacations and those kinds of things. And, and so this is our fall kickoff. And when you put those two words together, fall and kickoff, what do you think about? Football, right? And so that's why we did this. Why do you do this? Why do you preach on baseball? Well, it's what Christ did. Christ told parables to illustrate truths. That's what he did. I mean, sitting on the side of the hill and he saw a guy, you know, out working his garden. What did he do? He said, it's like a, a sower went out to sow seed. You know, he had good seed and da-da-da-da-da. And then he just talked in a way that people understood. And, you know, today, that's why I, I like using a lot of video, like uh, movies, like we did Vantage Point for Easter. I like doing that because, hey, you know, here in our culture, we understand movies, we understand entertainment, we understand sports, and so that's kind of why we're where we are today. I mean, you know, you can't hardly, you know, watch the Yankees, and maybe some of you are going to do it. Well, yeah, I can, <laughs> but you can't hardly watch the Yankees sometimes without thinking about Samson. I mean, I yeah, Trace actually preached on Samson in baseball last year. I meant, you know, the Yankees... They are, you got to say they're the most successful team in all of world, uh, in all of baseball history. I mean, you got to say that because they've won more World Series than anybody. Actually, almost three times as many as any other team. They've won that many, 20, 27 World Series, and the number two team has only won 10 World Series. Almost three times as many. I mean, you got to say that. So, you know, you look, you look at them and you kind of think a little bit about Samson, you know, that he just kind of keeps getting back up, even though it looks like they're not going to be good this year, and he just keeps getting back up, like when Delilah would tie him up, you know, he just keep getting back up, or, or or how can you you know think about the the Black Sox scandal? You remember reading about that? I know none of you are probably old enough to necessarily remember that, but you remember reading about that? And have you ever heard of the Black Sox scandal? You can't really think about that without maybe thinking about the fall of man. And, you know, this Jim, jo- Jim Joyce tragedy, you know, from a couple of months ago, you can't hardly think about that story. Y'all know Jim Joyce, right? Jim Joyce? Don't know that name? Oh, well, I got some video for you. I got some video for you. Uh, go ahead, start the- Okay, wait a minute. We've got to stop. Stop right here. We've got to stop. We've got to look at it. I, let me set this up for you, okay? Here's where we're at. Two, a little over two months ago, early in June, and uh, this is the Detroit Tigers uh, playing the Cleveland Indians. They're playing at Detroit. Tell me what inning it is. Top of the ninth, okay? Cleveland is at bat. Their last bat of the game. If they don't get three runs to put it into, you know, into extra innings or, or, or more runs to win it. And how many outs? Two outs. Okay, so this could be the last bat of the game if they don't make it happen. How many people are on base? I don't know if... Okay, for those of you who watch baseball, you know what that little baseball diamond is up there. And it's, uh, there is nobody on base. And incidentally, about this game, nobody ever got on base the entire game. 27 batters. There are, there are 27 outs per team, basically, in a game, nine times three, right? And so 26 batters have come to the plate, and 26 batters have been gotten out. And this pitcher, Armando Galarraga, is on the verge of pitching what is called in baseball the perfect game. But you know what? There's no such thing as really perfect because he threw some balls. He threw some bad pitches. He didn't get, actually, he only struck out three, I think. Most of the guys hit a ball that was caught in the air or put out at first. So, you know, when we talk about perfection, you know, perfection isn't, you know, like again, baseball is endurance. It's not perfection. But he was one out. All he had to do is throw two more strikes by this guy, 
and he would have a perfect game. All he had to do was, if, if he could just get this guy to ground out to the infield, you know, hit it somewhere, you know, uh, that somebody could get him out at first, then he would have the perfect game. And you know what? The only, the Detroit Tigers have never had one. It would be the very first perfect game in the history of the Detroit Tigers. You know, and what would, what would, what would it be? The greatest thing that could possibly happen, I mean, the greatest thing that could possibly happen would probably be for him to just fan him, strike him out, three, you know, three fastballs down the middle. But if, you know, if he were going to put it into play, probably the, the, the next best thing could happen would be for them to hit it to the first baseman and for Galarraga to have to cover first base and to him actually get to make the put out at first base, right? Wouldn't that be awesome to do that? Or if this guy, you know, he's just thinking, if I can just get it in the outfield in some way and just get on base. One out of way. Well, let's continue the video and let's just see what happens. Oh, there he goes. Ah, to the first baseman. Got right on covers and was he out? Was he safe? What was he? Out, safe? Do we, do, do we get to vote? That's the owner. He can't believe it. It was that close. Here's, here's the... The coach, Jim Leland, you know, he's got to come out and argue that call. Now, we're going to see see a replay here and see if he was out or safe. Ah, he was, the umpire blew the call. Here it is again. Ball in glove foot on bag a good half step how horrible look and the, the players are all celebrating because I mean everybody knows I mean he's, he's out he's out perfect game everybody's beginning to celebrate and then Jim Joyce the ump on first base says he's safe oh he blew it let me tell you he blew it so bad he, when he saw the video later he knew he blew it and he contacts Armando Galarraga and, and apologized to him. He said, I cost that kid a perfect game. All the fans, you know, they were cheering, and all of a sudden, oh, no, I can't believe Everybody knew that he was out except for the guy who made the call. What a horrible call he made. But he apologized to Armando Galarraga. What would you do? Give him a piece of your mind? You know, what, what would you do? I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, if you're a pitcher in... in professional baseball, and you pitch the perfect game. Nobody had ever pitched one for the Detroit Tigers. I mean, he was going to be the hero. This young man was about to probably get a big raise in his contract, you know, for for these kinds of things, these kinds of stats that you get and setting these kinds of records. They're the kinds of things that you can build raises out of, and all this was happening. But he accepted the apology of Jim Joyce. The next day they played again, and, and the umpires rotate, and Jim Joyce was going to be behind the plate. And so he was going to receive the, the, uh, the roster from both teams. You know, the coach, I, I know you don't see this all the time on TV, but, you know, just like we have to turn one in, the Little League Park that you guys go to, you know, with your kids and your grandkids, they do the same thing there. And so the coach, Jim Leland, he knows that, you know, they're going to hand it in to Jim Joyce. And here's what he does. Jim Leland knows that Armando Galarrago has accepted the apology of Jim Joyce. And so what he does is he hands the roster to Armando Galarraga for Armando Galarraga to go out and take it to Jim Joyce and hand it to him because, you know, on national TV and replayed over and over on Sports Center and other stations, you know, everybody saw Jim Joyce blow the call, but, but most people didn't hear that Jim Joyce apologized. 
And so what Jim Leland did, the coach, the coach of the, the team that lost the perfect, I mean, they won the game, but they lost the, the chance for the perfect game. He sent them out, he sent Galarraga out there so these two guys could stand side by side, smile, and, you know, and, and let everybody see that everything was all right and forgiveness was done. And, and when Jim Joyce came out on the field, what do you think the fans did? The, guy, the, the fans who were booing him last night, you know what they did when he walked out on the field because they had heard about the apology? You know what they did? They applauded him. A lot of them stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And the word that Armando Galarraga said when Jim Joyce contacted him and apologized, what he told him in reply was, nobody's perfect. Did you have that kind of an attitude? Have he just stolen that away from you? I mean, history in the making, and somebody steals that from you. Even though it was an accident, could you just say, well, nobody's perfect? And i tell you something, you better learn how to say, nobody's perfect. Taking scripture, the book of Luke says this, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. And Jesus says to whom much is given much is required. And we've been given much. You've been given grace. How how many of you would like to stand up today and let's watch a video of the mistakes you've made in your life? Thank God for grace, amen? You know, say, Pastor, you don't have some of those, do you? You didn't find me on YouTube, did you? Or something. I mean, thank God we've been given grace. We've been forgiven of such great things. And yet we forget that when we're on the other end, don't we? Let me tell you something. If you're going to make it very long in life, you're going to have to learn, learn this. Let me tell you, John chapter 6, uh, uh, Simon Peter had the question, who, who am I supposed to forgive and how often? Simon Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which is what? 490. So is Jesus saying on the 491st time you don't have to forgive? Uh, that wasn't what he was saying, was it? If, if so, you know what? We're going to have a lot of people sitting around with their ledgers, you know, figuring out, okay, you're up to 392, so you better be watching it. Boy, you're getting close. You know, that's not what Jesus is saying. Seven is the number of perfection or completeness. What was he saying? Seventy times. He was saying completeness times completeness. He was saying you need to give complete forgiveness over and over and over because you've been given forgiveness. You've been given grace that when you mess up, can I tell you what's going to happen tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, this same team is going to have to walk back out on the field. Armando Galarraga, because of the pitching rotation, it's going to be a few days. But in a few days, he's going to have to walk back on the mound, pick up his glove, pick up, get the ball, and he's going to have to pitch another game. And if he's still carrying around the weight of unforgiveness because he doesn't have the grace to give somebody else. You know what? He's going to have that on his mind. He's going to be mad. He's going to be kicking the dirt, you know. And if Jim Joyce is anywhere on the field, he, you know, he's probably going to want to throw a ball at him, you know. So he's just going to want to miss some way, you know, and hit him. And that's what's going to be, instead of pitching, and if you don't learn, if you better get this, if you don't learn that if you're going to make it, if you're going to make it in life, you've got to possess some grace in your life. You've got to be able to forgive. You've got to be able to wipe the slate clean for somebody else. You had it wiped clean. You better learn how to, because if you don't, you're going to walk through life with this heavy, 
this heavy burden on you and all the stuff that you want to try to do in life, this is going to be the thing that keeps coming to your head. Every time you want to do something anywhere related to it, it's going to pop back in your head. And I had somebody tell me this, I don't know how many years ago, and I don't know how many times I've repeated it. And I've told you, you've heard me say it in here, you've heard me say it in class on Wednesday night, in pastor's class. But listen, this thing that you are carrying around that somebody hurt you about 10 years ago on Saturday afternoon when you're sitting at home and thinking about it again and you're getting mad all about it, that person that you're mad at is down at the Galleria having a good time shopping and they hadn't thought about it in 10 years. So you know what? You're the only one carrying around the weight for your own benefit. You need to find some grace and give, and give some forgiveness for people. You got to do that. Okay, that's first base. So let's go to second base. And I want to tell you uh, about, I wish we had video, but this one happened a long, long, long time ago. Anybody, was anybody alive here? Anybody in 1908? Uh, nobody, nobody was there at this game, right? Okay, so this, is, this has got to be, by my estimation, the most bizarre play that ever happened in all of Major League history. It's, it's got, this, this one was a weird one. 102 years ago, the Chicago Cubs and the New York Giants they were the New York Giants before they were the San Francisco Giants. They moved in 1958, okay? So those of you who say, wait a minute, Giants don't play in New York. Well, they did back in those days, okay? The Cubs and the Giants were playing a game in 1908. September 23rd, I believe, was the date of it. So they're like two weeks away from the end of the season. And the Cubs are in first place in the National League. And the Giants are three games behind them. Now, the Giants have a few extra games because of a lot of rainouts. They, so they've got a few extra games to make up than the Cubs do. So they have a shot at catching the Cubs, three games behind. But here's the thing is, if they win a game and the Cubs win a game, they can't catch them. You know, they've got to win more than the Cubs win to catch them. And so here's an opportunity. They're actually playing the, club, the Cubs this day. And so if they beat the Cubs, they get a win and the Cubs get a loss, so that catches them up a little bit. You know, this is their opportunity. They've got to take advantage of this opportunity. So they get to the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth. The Giants uh, and the Cubs are tied. Uh, it's two away, and, and the, the Giants have two runners on base. They've got uh, Moose uh, McCormick's on uh, third base, and they've got Fred Merkel is on first base, and, uh, and uh, Al Bridwell comes up to bat, and so it's two away, got runners on the corners. All, all he's got to do is put the ball in place somewhere that they can't make a put out. If he can get it in the outfield somewhere on the grass, I mean, they're going to, the guy on third is going to score. It's two away, tied up. All he's got to have is a base hit. Bridwell comes up, first pitch he swings at, hits a line drive into center field. Everybody erupts and explodes, you know, screaming. They're in New York, so all the fans are excited. Moose scores from third base, and, you know, and everybody is jumping up and down because the Giants have won the game, game over. They won it by one run. But as Lee Corso likes to say, not so fast, my friend, because Johnny Evers is the second baseman for the Cubs. And his responsibility in, in this play, in any play, is first of all, his responsibility is second base. And so he's, he knows, you know, if the ball's hit to the shortstop, I'm going to just run over and catch the ball at second base, and the game will be over. So his responsibility is second base and watching that runner over here on first. And so when the ball goes into the, into the outfield, he's still 
paying attention to his responsibility. Second base and the runner on first. Here's what Fred Merkel did. The guy on first base, when the ball is hit, he starts towards second because, you know, with a line drive, hey, it could be, you know, it could be caught by somebody. So he starts towards second. When he sees it go into the outfield, he turns around and sees Moose streaking toward home and, you know, and him scoring. And he starts celebrating. The fans start running out on the field. And he doesn't continue over to second base to touch second base. But he returns back to the dugout going toward the clubhouse. But Johnny Evers is still standing there, and he realizes he's not touched second yet. And so, listen, if you don't know the rules, just believe me, okay? If he touches second before, before Merkel comes back out of the clubhouse and touches second, then, you know, he will be out, and the run will not count. And so Evers is yelling at the center fielder, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Fans have flooded the, the field by this time, and so, you know, it's hard for him to get the ball to him. And the third base coach, Joe McGinnity, who was a, he was a pitcher, but he wasn't pitching that day, so they had him on third base coaching the game. I told you, did I tell you this was a bizarre, wait, you haven't heard the, the craziest of it yet. He, he sees this happening. He realizes what Evers is trying to do. So he runs out, and he gets the ball before Evers can, and he turns and he slings it up into the stands. And so now a fan, you know, fans are fighting over the ball. And so now some Cubs players, they crawl up into the stands, and they start trying to get the ball from the fan. Now, they're saying, hey, just give it to us a minute. Just give it to us a minute. Now, this guy, being from New York, he's probably a New York Giants fan. So, first of all, he's glad. I got the ball that scored the winning run, so he's got to, there's no way he's going to let go of it. And even if they want to borrow it for a minute, their Cubs got whatever they've got in mind. I don't want them to have it because I'm a Giants fan. So he's like, no, no way, no way. Uh, Floyd Crow is a pitcher for the Cubs who was not playing that day. He was one of the guys who crawled up in the stands. He, the, the fan wouldn't give him the ball, so they tackle him, you know, and they're trying to get the ball, wrestle the ball away from him. And, and, and this, this guy that had the, had the ball, he had on one of those derbies, you know, the kind of real stiff hats that they used to wear back in those days, real hard and stiff. And I know this is the kind of thing you would see on an old, old movie, and it actually happened that day. Floyd Crow just took his fist like this and hit the guy on top of his derby hat and, and, and just sent the derby hat down over his face and over his eyes. So now this guy is laying out in the floor of the stadium and he's got all these cub players on him trying, and he, you know, he's holding the ball and the, and the, and the derby hat is over his eyes. And finally, you know, he drops the ball. And so Floyd Crow picks it up. He throows it into Tinker, who is the sec, uh, shortstop and Tinker gra- catches the ball, flips it over there to Evers, who has been standing there by the bag waiting for all this to transpire. He catches the ball, steps on the base, looks at the ump, and the ump's been paying attention to all this, doing his responsibility as well, and he calls the guy out. They confer a little bit, but he's called the guy out. There's so, so much confusion going on. They know they can't continue the game. They call the guy out. They rule the game ends in a tie because they were tied. They can't get the game started again, and so they just rule the game ends in a tie. Have you ever heard of anything so crazy? But here's the rest of the story. Is they, since it ends in a tie, they end up having to replay that game. They don't just start at the 10th inning. They actually replay the game, and the Cubs win handily. The season ends in about just a couple of weeks later, and because the Giants had so many extra games, the Giants played themselves to death. And their ace pitcher was not able to pitch in the last game. Of, uh, actually, what happened is at the end of the season, they ended up tied. Uh, they had, uh, they both, the Cubs had 98 wins and 55 losses, and the Giants had 98 wins and 55 losses. And so, and the Giants had played so many games in the last two weeks, they were worn out and tired, and their ace pitcher could not play. They had to play a one-game playoff to see who got to go to the World Series. 
see who won the pennant in the National League and get to go to the World Series. So this one-game playoff, their ace was too tired. He couldn't play, and the Cubs win. Actually, the Cubs win that game. They go on to the World Series, and they defeat the Detroit Tigers to win the World Series in 1908. And the Cubs, sad to say, Cub fan, the Cubs have not won a national championship, a World Series, since 1908. But you know what people, a lot of people say? That World Series championship should have an asterisk beside it because they say it was won on a technicality. Are there any baseball players here today? You know, any baseball? Can, can you tell me something? Is touching second base on a force plate, is that a technicality? That's a rule, right? I mean, you know, you know, who, you know what kind of people call things technicalities? People who don't like rules. Ah, oh, that's just a technicality. You don't really have to do it that way, right? I mean, and have you ever heard yourself say something like, that's just a technicality? But let me, let me tell you about this technicality, what it cost everybody. You see, the Cubs won the World Series because they won the playoff game. But the playoff game would have not been played if the Cubs had not also won the replay game of the crazy game. But the crazy game would have not ended in a tie if Fred Merkel, who had plenty of time to get to second base, would have just run over there and touched second base before he ran off the field. And so the technicality is what killed him. Oh, he could have made all kinds of excuses. That's technicality. Actually, back in those days, this has always been a rule, but back in those days, when, when it was a walk-off hit like that, they, they just kind of overlooked the fact of people having to touch the bases. And so he could say, hey, you know, y'all been overlooking this all year. Y'all overlooked it all year last year. You know, this happens all the time. But it still is a rule. And if one team decides not to play within the rules and the other team decides to play within the rules, the team that plays within the rules is going to win because they played within the rules. The calls are always going to go their way. He, he could have, he could have uh, offered all kinds of excuses. He, you know, he could have said, hey, everybody else is doing it, and that's probably what your mom used to always ask you, right? Well, if everybody else is going to jump up, right? Haven't you heard that? You know, and so everybody, or he could have, he could have said, well, you know, there were too many people on the field. Everybody was in my way. Oh, man, we, we've used that kind of an excuse, haven't we? I had too many people in my way. I couldn't do what I was supposed to do because of somebody else, right? Or, well, I touched second base yesterday. Now, he wouldn't have said that, would he? But we do. I did right yesterday. Why have I got to do right every day? I did what I'm supposed to do for 10 years. Why do I have to keep doing it tomorrow? We use that excuse. That Jesus had a whole lot of people following him when he was here. As long as he was feeding them with the loaves and fish, as long as he was healing the blind, casting out demons, man, people just showed up. They just flocked to him. But all of a sudden, he started talking about what the real vision was. He started talking to him about his death and uh, burial and the resurrection. He talked about him being the, the bread of life, about him being the, uh, the gift that is going to be given so that everybody could have life. And you know what happened? John 6, verse 66. When he started talking, I'm sorry, uh, you might have to skip. Uh, when, when he started talking about that's right, I'm sorry, I confused Mike earlier now. I'm confused. I'm sorry, Luke. Uh, he, and he talked, about these three, he talked about these three excuses right here. And what are these excuses? Excuses are land, things, and spouse. Jesus was talking about the excuses that people make. And he said people, he said people were bidden or invited to come to a, to a dinner and they started making excuses. And this dinner that they were invited to come to, I mean, you listen to the symbolism. What's he talk, he's talking about the last days. He's talking about how we're invited to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And people began to make excuses. And the three things right there, the land, the things, the spouse, I mean, those are things that are very important. He talked about the, the, there was a man that invested in some land. 
And this was the excuse he made to not come to the dinner. There was a man that had invested in some things, and these things were actually farm implements. Well, they were oxen, but I mean, you know, they were actually things that he used in his business to make money to provide for his family. And the third one was a man said, I just got married. And so these were the three excuses. Now, Jesus is telling a parable here. This, this wasn't actually a true story. It's a parable. So Jesus is making this up as he goes as an example for us to understand. And so what does he do? He could pick anything. He could have said, he said, he could have said one guy said, I just bought a baseball card I got to go pick up, you know. Or I, I, I got a game of tiddlywinks here in a little while. You know, he could, but what did he do? Jesus picked three very important things as the excuses people give to not come when Jesus calls. And you know what he's showing us? He's showing us even the most important things in life are not more important than the will of God in our life. And we can make all the excuses we want to make, but it's not more important than, the God of will, than the God's will in your life. And, and, and we need to get this. We've got we to quit slacking off the rules. You, know, you can get away with it here and there. You know, if, if the Cubs had been playing a high school game as just an exhibition game that day, if they'd have been playing against a high school team as just exhibition, they wouldn't have embarrassed that little boy for not touching second base. They wouldn't have gone up in the stands and, you know, knocked a guy on top of the head. They wouldn't have gone to all that trouble. You know, the high school team could have gotten away from Away with it. But this day they were playing the Giants. This was for the pennant. They were just a couple of weeks away from winning the pennant, going to the World Series and having a chance at winning the World Series. This was important this day. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It's when you slack, you'll get by with it when you slack off the rules in times that don't matter. You'll be surprised. You, you, you don't live for God exactly like you need to. You don't pay attention to the rules. You, you do as you want to. You do as you please on days that don't matter and you'll get away with it. But there's coming a day that's going to matter in your life. And if you've not been living by God's rules, that's the day you're going to have to pay. It's going to, be, it's going to get so easy in your life to just, ah, I did it yesterday, I don't have to do it again today. Ah, oh, there's too many people involved and too many people in my way. I did it this way last week, so I don't know why I can't keep doing it this week. There's coming a time. And you're not going to be embarrassed on a day that doesn't matter. You're going to be embarrassed on a day that matters very much to your family to your future, to your finances, to your spirituality. That's when, it, that's when it's going to come home. It's not going to come home on a day that... It's going to come home on a day that will embarrass you and maybe even destroy something in your life. You can't slack off the rules. You know what? I looked at the clock. I'm about the same place. So I thought I was going to do this faster this time, but I didn't. i got to tell you about third base here. Um, a man entered... 21 years old, entered the professional ranks of baseball players in 1981, 21 years of age, played for 20 years. His first year to play, he uh, about 160, 170 was what his batting average was. Baseball fans, is that good? Nope. Some pitchers have better batting averages than that, right? How in the world did he stay in for 20 years? It wasn't because he was a pitcher and they overlooked his batting average. He obviously wasn't a major home run hitter. Uh, but, you know, sometimes home run hitters, you don't care. I mean, hey, if they only, you know, if their batting average is 160-something, but every time they hit the ball, it's a home run, then you're happy, you know, if you're getting that many home runs. It, it wasn't that case either. But this was a man that came to be known as the example of, of, of commitment and, and, and consistency and being able to be counted on. He, he's the guy called the Iron Man.
17 years. Cal Ripken, the Iron Man. Some people say he revolutionized the way shortstops played. He also played third base, so we're using him for third base today. And this was video from the night he broke the record for playing the most consecutive games. Lou Gehrig held the record 2,130. And this night, you saw the number come down. He had 2,131 games that he played in consecutively. And some people will look at that and say, well, he, he, you know, our, our attitude is, well, we're going to do something to break a record. Can I tell you something? You don't wake up as a 21-year-old one day and say, hmm, I think I'll play 2,131 consecutive games and break that record. You know, you, you, you don't just do that. You know, what happens in a record like this, what happens is, You do things in a consistent way, on a consistent basis. You do things because you're supposed to do them the right way. You show up for practice early. You show up for batting practice. You're always there. You're never sick. You just do everything you can do like Cal Ripken did. What it is, you've got a hero inside of you that is coming out, and all of a sudden you find yourself, people start talking about, hey, do you realize the streak you've got going is getting close to Lou Gehrig? And you say, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't know anything about that. You don't get there because you choose to get there and then you become a hero. Cal Ripken was a hero that broke a record, not the other way around. What we don't want to do is we want to do, break a record so we can be a hero, and that, that rarely gets done. It happens when people who, who are heroes just do what it's time to do. He was, he was Mr. Consistency. He's a guy, 2001. And here's the thing is, I know people say, oh, he just got that in his head. He said he didn't. He said, actually, uh, some of the interviews said, you know, actually when we started talking about the streak, it affected the team. And he said, I didn't want to talk about the streak. It wasn't about the streak because I can tell you this, after this game where he broke the streak, broke the record of 2,131 games played straight, he played another 501 games. He didn't have to, straight. He w- still wasn't done when he, when he broke the streak, but he played another 501 straight games. So the, 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 the person with, on the list, number two for most consecutive games played is Lou Gehrig, and he's 502 behind him. And the guy beneath him was about, had about half. Cal Ripken has twice as many consecutive games as the guy in third place on the list. It wasn't about a streak. 
It was about being consistent and being the man that you're supposed to be. It's about being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. Can I put this in a, a little more, uh, give you a little bit more understanding of this? Is He started this in his first full season in pro baseball at 21 years of age, and he did not miss a game until after his 38th birthday. Think about that. For 17 years, from 21 to 38, some of you don't know about 38 yet, some of you are having a hard time remembering back that far. But from 21 to 38, every time the Baltimore Orioles went on the field, Cal Ripken was there. Every time, 162 games a year. He didn't get up and say, oh, I got a little bit of a headache today. I think I'll sleep in, coach. Every day for 17 years. He didn't take vacation in the middle of the season. He didn't have a a family emergency like so many of these guys have. And you wonder if it really, for 17 years. Why? Not because he was a guy that broke a record, became a hero. He was a guy that had a hero inside of him that just happened to break a record and set a huge one. He also hit about 600 home runs or something. Y'all don't, y'all don't check that online right now on your phones, okay? Let's do that later. Take you to Scripture. This is Scripture I was introducing to you a few moments ago. When Jesus told, the, told all the people that had been gathered around him what was, what was about to happen, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What are you here for? Are you here for the warm fuzzy that you get, get to check it off? I went to church. God, you owe me. I went to church. What are you here for? Why are you here today? That's what Jesus was asking Simon Peter. Why are you here? Are you guys going to leave too? Are you here for the loaves and the fish like this crowd was? Are you here for the miracles that everybody can see? Are you here for the warm fuzzy? Simon Peter and those 12, there weren't many of them, but there were some that had a hero's heart. They said, where are we going to go, God? There's nobody that has the words of eternal life but you. There's no other place to go. Here's the question. It's who are you? Who are you? Sir, who, who are you? What kind of man are you, really? Ma'am, who are you? Young man and young lady, who are you? Not just in Christ. I mean, I mean down to the very depths of who you Who are you? Are you somebody that can be counted on? If you're a husband, if you're a dad, are you somebody that your spouse and your kids know they can count on you? Are you somebody that can be counted on every day? Can God count on you? Are you there every time, every time God turns to look and see and say, I, hey, I need somebody over here doing something? Are you, the, are you, are you that person? How about your friends? Can you be counted on? What kind of a person are you? Last little story. You ever heard of a breakout year? Come on, Jamie, let's, let's go ahead. And, you ever heard of a breakout year? Ernie Banks had his. We're back to Cubs again. Uh, if you're a Cubs fan, you, you may be enjoying this. We had Harry Carey leading it and talked about the Cubs. We're talking about the Cubs again. Ernie Banks. His first year as a, as a pro baseball player, didn't get a whole lot of bats. The second year, he had a lot of bats, but didn't do too well. Only had 19, 19 home runs. Hey, I'd love to be able to say today I had 19 home runs in professional baseball, I'd love, but not a baseball player. 19 home runs, but he entered, he, w- he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, how do you do that? With not, well, it didn't stay there. He had a breakout year in 55. Look at these stats. In 55, see 54, you see a home run 19, and 55 is 44. Look at these home runs, 28, 43, 47, 45, 41, 29. Those are big numbers. 
And, and you look over here, he was MVP two years in 58 and 59, won the gold glove. And I look at all those many uh, years he was all-star. He was voted to the all-star teams in Major League Baseball. And he had his breakout year in 1955. His breakout year. Some of you need a breakout year. You need, this, you need this year to be different than last year. You need to hit 44 instead of 19. You need your batting average to go up. You need your winning percentage to go up. You need some things to go up. I can tell you the things that we preached about already are the things that you're going to have to do have that breakout year. Come join me, if you will. Everybody stand and come to the front.